One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Or old school translation says, come follow me and you will be a fisher of men. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. That was it. They left their land. Jesus came up. You must be like, these must be the most gullible people on the planet. Jesus walks up to them. He's like, hey, come follow me. They drop their nets, leave their careers, leave their investments, leave their boats, and they just follow this guy named Jesus. Now, the backstory happens in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus actually told him to go back after a long night of fishing, to go back out to the water like, we don't want to do that. Throw your nets over the other side. Their nets got so weighed down, they caught so many fish that one day that they realized that, man, this guy, he's on to something. We should just do what this guy says. So when he says, come and follow me, he did it in a context of showing them that he had the ability, he had the power, he had the authority to take care of every single one of their needs. And if they followed him, they would find new purpose that they have never found before. And the truth is, in all of Christianity, we make things really complex and we use this same word call for a lot of things. So it's a, we have a call for volunteers. I feel like it's a call. I'm, I, you know, I can't do children's ministry because I don't feel called. That's a lie. You should sign up immediately. Anyone can do children's ministry. That's just you BSing your way with Christian language. Okay, let's be honest. That's not an actual thing. I just don't feel called that way. You're not, you're just lying. Okay, it's fine. That's not a real thing. There's only one call that exists in all of Christianity. And that's that call where Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. Come and follow me. It's out of that that everything else follows. The only time Jesus talked about careers, okay, this is, I know this is stretching and can be controversial. I can see it on your faces. The only time Jesus talked about careers in the Bible is when he stood up and he says, hey, come and follow me. And it was in the context of them leaving everything to follow Jesus. You're like, no, but I thought my career was my calling. No, your career is what you do. And it's a part of how you were gifted. It's a part of how you're made. It's, it might even be a part of God's plan for your life. But the call is Jesus saying, come and follow me. And if we come and we follow Jesus, then everything else will follow. See, Jesus cares way more about who we are than about what we do. And if we follow him, this is the amazing part. We, see, it's like we just get things confused. We think it's like you know, chicken before egg. But the truth is, if we just follow Jesus, Jesus handcrafted us, handmade us. He made us a masterpiece, he tells us in, in Ephesians 2.10, that if we follow him, he knows exactly how we're hardwired, exactly how we're made. And guess what? When you're trying to figure out what the next career move is, he already knows what the best thing is for you to do because he made you. He handcrafted you. So as long as you follow him, one step at a time, you're going to find yourself living out of purpose and living out of hope instead of living out of striving to find those things. I'm convinced that everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of us are living for the weekend and living for our next vacation because we kind of just want to escape this thing that we've called life, not because we're tired, but because we're tired of what feels like useless and meaningless activity. This past week uh, on Friday, I got, started getting phone calls, and it just kept saying, unknown caller. All day, unknown caller. And I'm like, what is happening? And it was like every 20 minutes for a while, I was getting these unknown calls. I'm like, 
are the police after me? Because, you know, my friend Matt, he's a cop. He's like, they always block their number. I'm like, what is going on? Is somebody I know, like, is it, should I be answering these calls? Because the truth is, I do not answer unknown caller calls. Because I'm like, I don't know who you are. That just, like, what is this? Like, why would I take my risk to have a one-minute conversation with you? I'm not doing that in my life. And I figured out later in the day that my call display was dead. No call display. It wasn't working. And I'm like, what is this witchcraft? You know, like, why is my phone, my, why is it not working? Because I only answer the calls that I want to take. I, 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 I screen my calls. Most of us screen our lives and our opportunities, waiting for something better to come along. Instead of just saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you one step at a time. I would contend that most of us are disappointed. We're hurting. We're longing for something more because we either screened every opportunity and missed something that was right in front of us, or because we just jumped at the first thing and we didn't have the foresight to follow Jesus and we just did it because we didn't want to miss something. And so now we're kind of caught in this nebulous middle. Okay, so there's only one call that's Jesus saying, come and follow me. Then what's God's will and what's God's plan for my life? No problem. We'll answer that question today too. 1 Thessalonians 4. God's will is for you to be holy. Now, if you hung out in church for long enough, you're like, oh, great. Here comes the morality pitch. And there is something about following Jesus and living in a certain manner, but we do that because of a relationship. We do it out of relationship. Our behavior only changes because of a love and a relationship that we have, not because there's a set of rules and guidelines, but that's not where we're going. God's will for you is to be holy. The Greek word for holy is egios, which means to be set apart or to be different. God's got a plan for you. His plan for you, his will for you is to be set apart. To be set apart means to be ready for his purposes. He's, he's ready for you if you're ready to answer the call. All throughout scripture, there's these moments with Abraham and Moses and Samuel and all of these guys where God says, hey, is there anyone willing to go? Isaiah, and they all say, here I am, God, send me. To be set apart not only means to be different, but it be, means that I am prepared and I'm ready to take the step whenever the call comes. God's will for me is to be holy, to be set apart, to be different, because I live by a different standard. I live at the ready call of Jesus. Wherever he's leading me, I'm ready to follow him one step at a time. The interesting thing about that word, to be holy, is that we're also supposed to be different. But isn't that the exact opposite of human nature? Like, even when you really, really, really want to be different, you still just want to be the same as everybody else. You know, and when you decide that you're going to look different, you're going to do something visually, you just look like all the other people who want to look different, right? It's like, hey, you know, I'm going to be, like, I'm going to be hardcore and get a tattoo, it's like, listen, I'm going to be hardcore and not get a tattoo because everybody else that I know has a tattoo. And I'm, if I wait this out long enough, I am going to be the different one. You know, we just, there's something inside of us that's like, man, I just want to be, I want to be different. But when I'm different, I still just want to be like everybody else. I just want to find this new group of people that I can just cling to. I want this community. I want this relationship. I just don't want to be too different because if I'm too different, people are going to notice me and I don't want to be Notice, I just want to settle back in. And this is the eternal human struggle because it's this feeling or desire to fit in 
that leads us to some gnarly places in our lives. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We're picking up our narrative from last week, which I'll fill you in in a moment. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. Now, as I was preparing, I'm like, I'm really wrestling with how to jump in at this point because what I want us to do is essentially look at the entire biblical narrative in like 30 minutes, which seems very difficult. But what I want to do is I just want to narrow in on a few things. So this is, this is uh, the Coles Notes version. God purposely chose to be the ever-present, invisible God with his people and in the midst of his people at all times. That was his choice. They didn't have a king like all the other countries because God was with them. When they were in the desert, uh, wandering around after they escaped Egypt, God was with them and he would hang out in this tent. Or it would be a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God was with them. As the narrative moves forward, they kept constructing this tent. And it was the place of meeting. It was where God would be. But he didn't have a permanent place. He didn't have a permanent home because he was always with them wherever they went. They didn't just build him a place and he stayed over there. No, he was always with them. The ever-present, invisible God was always with them in every season, in every moment. And if they needed some advice, they would go to him. They would ask him. They would talk to him. He was a big part of their life. In fact, their community, their government, their, their religion, everything revolved around the tabernacle of meeting where God was. Literally, they built their life around the ever-present, invisible king named in their vernacular Yahweh. And God was there in the middle of them. At this point in our story, they chose to go a different way. You see, they had become more established. They found some territory. They were occupying that promised land. They found some wins some victories in battle and they decided hey listen we're comfortable we're established we're settled how about once we're comfortable once we're established once we're settled we just look like everybody else we just want to get we just want a king because like everybody else has a king we just want that and you're like well that doesn't seem like a bad thing it seems like a fine thing. Yeah, it seems like a fine thing on the surface, but there's always this question we have to ask, is this a good idea or is this a God idea? On the surface, it looks like a fine idea. There's a figurehead now, a person. But what that also means is that we take God out of the center of the community, out of the center of the politics, out of the center of everything, and we move him off to the side and we replace him with a human king and a human man, which you go talk to God, you figure it out. It, 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 it takes the responsibility away and it creates some distance in the relationship. And so Samuel, who was a prophet of God, really tried to explain. He said, guys, listen, this is, not, this is not what you actually want. You don't know what you're about to do. They said, no, we just want to look like everybody else. Everybody else has a king. Can't we? No. Or yes. And God said, listen, they didn't reject you. They're rejecting me. And so they decided that they wanted this king. They started with the first king named Saul, but Saul soon enough 
Once he got power, you know, there's that phrase, Winston Churchill, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And he went his own way. He started following God, went his own way, did his own thing because he's the all-powerful king. God removes him. David becomes king. You know, David, the giant killer, and this is what the Bible says about David. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So he found this perfect king, a man after his own heart. Now, it didn't mean David didn't have flaws or mistakes. We talked about it last week. He had that, there's that moment he had that affair, that moment he had to pretend to be crazy, the moment he lived on the run, the moment that he put the guy whose wife he knocked up on the front lines of battle and had him killed in battle, so it just kind of looked like a happy accident. His hands weren't all that clean. And yet there was something about him. He was a man after God's own heart. He would do everything that he wanted to do for God. But David, settled and established in his power now in his kingdom, has this thought in 2 Samuel 7. When King David was settled in his palace, turn to somebody and say settled. That's a problem word for us. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies because, you know, when you get bored, bad things happen. The king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. So David, successful king, rich king, builds all these crazy palaces, beautiful, ornate, over the top, the things that you would dream of if you were the richest king in the world. You know, it's like, big, crazy stuff. He's like, listen, this is nuts. God is living in a tent out back in my backyard, and I'm living in this palace. I need to do something about this. I need to fix it. This seems like a good idea. So he calls one of God's prophets. He says, Nathan, listen, I got to build God something because I live in this extravagant house, and, and he's got nothing. What, we got to do something. And Nathan just said, listen, go ahead, do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Good idea or God idea. And the truth is, in that moment, Nathan was wrong because that night he goes to bed and God shows up and says, hey, listen, you need to go back to David. This, I know that you just assumed because from this point, we've just been rolling together, but right now you need to know this is a bad, bad decision. David can't do this. Leave it for his son. He can't do this. Actually, the Bible actually said he had blood on his hands. And you would think that it was blood on his hands from killing that guy who wife he knocked up but that wasn't the case it was the blood on hands from the battles and the wars that he had to win to create a time of peace he said listen it needs to be a, a king of peace a prince of peace Solomon's going to build this temple tell David this is not a good idea and so Nathan I'm sure he's nervous about it because he just gave him the okay and I think David immediately started buying things which is what would happen to me if some of the moment someone says yes I bought it all like it's just like uh, you know I'll ask for forgiveness later you know like my wife, she knows this struggle all too well. Oh, yes? You said yes. I heard you say yes. She said no. I said yes to something completely different. Oh, well, I took it as a yes. I bought everything. God says thanks, but no thanks. Good idea versus God idea. And so David just left it. And the Bible actually says in that same portion of scripture in Acts chapter 13 that when David died, he had accomplished everything in his life that God had purposed and planned for him. And he prepared everything for his son. He laid out the plans. He bought all the materials. Everything was ready for his son to build this temple. The first thought is there could be a dream in your heart. 
Now, now just listen to this and bear with me for a moment. David died fulfilling every purpose that God had for him. Everything that, that God had said, hey, I need you to do this. I want to do this together. David did it all. He died with no potential left. But David also died with a dream still in his heart. He died with a dream to build this, temper, this temple, this tabernacle. Did you know that the dreams and the purposes and the plans in your heart are not necessarily only for you? See, we get really myopic about what we're going to do with our life. It's just about us. It's about us. It's about us. But God always thinks about generations, from the generation to the generation to the generation. And so there are actually dreams in your heart that you have that it's possible you will never fulfill them in your lifetime, but they're actually dreams that you're supposed to pass on to your kids, to the next generation, to those around you. That the dream, the reason the dream is in you because you have the ability to communicate it, you have the ability to establish it, you have the ability to get everything working in an order just like David did. You have, the, you have the ability to put it all together so all they have to do is execute and they can get further, faster. And you might say, oh, that doesn't sound fair. It's not about fair. It's about fulfilling the plans and purposes of God. Think about this. God could be using you and positioning you in this lifetime to make a lasting uh, impact over generations. See, we get so obsessed about what's going to happen in these 80 years. But what about the next 80 and the 80 after that and the 80 after that? Our narrative, the narrative, the story of our life, our impact is not limited to this lifetime. Think about this. It's very possible that God has positioned you exactly where you are, giving you the resources and giving you the dreams and giving you the ideas and the creativity to not only establish you and your family, but to impact many for years and decades to come. And you just thought it was about the next 10 years in a Range Rover. <laughs> God, the invisible king, ever-present, always with them, the center of everything. And now they said, let's build God a house. So Solomon builds God a house, an ornate, a beautiful temple and a structure, a thing that's beyond compare. And then they open it up. They have a grand opening just like we're going to do. And the presence of God comes in such an incredible way that, that, that smoke and the glory of God fills the temple. And it's, it's incredible. People couldn't even do their jobs because God's presence was there. It was so thick. They were just stopped in awe and wonder. It was incredible. And, and God says to Solomon, listen, if we do this together, I will always be with you, but, but you, got, you got to stay with me, bro. You got to stay with me. You got to stay with me. Solomon says, for sure. For sure. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. But here's the thing about Solomon. He was the king of peace, and in the time of peace, sometimes we get a little bored. And so Solomon started marrying people. Like a lot of people. The Bible says in 1 Kings 11, 3, we can throw it up, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. So he had 700 wives. Now, I got 99 problems. <laughs> and 700 wives is a big part of that problem. Because you're, you're told, listen, I... I got enough problems with one. Like, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to move forward. I'm just trying to, you know, make it day by day. And uh, this guy's got a lot of issues because he's got a lot of wives. 
and he's got a lot of blessings, but he's got a lot of problems. Now, bear in mind, in Proverbs, the guy who wrote Proverbs is Solomon, the guy with 700 wives, and he said that there's one of the worst curses that any man could have is a nagging wife. And trust me, he knew. (laughs) He had the vast numbers, the research data. It was established. It was well-formed. We can trust his words on this matter. But Solomon got bored, and God said, listen, you need to just follow me, follow me, be with me. You and me, bro, we got this. We're going to lead this nation together. And Solomon said, listen, I've got 700 wives chirping my ear, and they all want all kinds of things. Now, God was very clear at the time. He said, listen, I don't want you to marry other people from other nations. It's really going to just muddy the water. And it wasn't racist. It was religious. He says, because what's going to happen is you're going to bring them into your house, and you're going to bow to the pressure and start worshiping those gods too. And Solomon says, there's no way that's going to happen. Well, turns out, you get 700 wives who have 700 religions, and you get a little diversified. They turn his heart, and this is what it says, Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. Do you know what happened? He built them temples and tabernacles and houses of worship. And all of a sudden, the thing that he built for the one true God, this incredible ornate thing that was meant just for him, became just one of 700. And the problem was God goes from being the priority to being a part of his priorities. And the role You see, part of the problem is that when we insist on leaving God in a box, we think we understand him better. See, if we just leave God in a box, we got all these terms and conditions. And if there's terms and conditions and he lives in this house and he stays in this place, that means I can leave and I can come back and I can leave him here and I'll know where to find him. But it also means that I can just like work every loophole because the moment we begin to formalize a relationship with a box and with the structure and with a place that God lives, then I get to work the loophole because I'm a human and what every human does that's been happening, like if you have a toddler, you know this is true. You say one thing and they find the one way to do it and then they just smile at you like, sorry. But it's so cute that you don't care. And the truth is, we've been living our lives like cute little toddlers going, sorry, we thought you were in the big box down the street. We leave Jesus in his box for the week. And it forces us then to live a life where we're proving ourselves for him because now he's over here, separate from us, living here, sitting on his throne. And we now go out and like minions, we go and we try and prove ourselves or make him proud because in our heads, we're just hardwired this way. We think that he's a king with a throne and a place and a palace. And if that's true, I got to work for him and show myself approved. And God said, no, that was never the plan. The, never, the plan was never for me to live in a box or in a room or in a space or a place. It was to be with you, to be the ever-present king in the midst of every circumstance, in the midst of every situation, not just here on Sunday. When we put God in a box, we leave him uninvited and without access to our lives because we like him better over here, because we can manage it 
over here. And that's the moment where Monday begins to feel like a godless, empty, barren wasteland. Because it is. Because we left him here at a day and a time, and we'll pick it up again later next week. And then we wonder where he is in the midst of our stuff and our battle and our struggle. And we realize that we just didn't invite him to the party because we just want to be like everybody else. And this makes sense if he's over here and we're over there. See, I go to work, I leave my work at home. Well, no, you don't, probably. (laughs) So why do we think that we could leave God over here? The plan, and it's not just us, it's the narrative of humanity where we go through an ebb and a flow in seasons, where we get really close and then we back away slowly because we think we're all right. And the moment that we think we're all right, the moment that we get settled, the moment that everything's okay, we're just like, oh, we're cool now, we're cool. Let's just leave God over here and we'll do it on our own. We like him to get us to places, but then we like him to leave us alone so we can succeed on our own. He said, listen, we were always intended for an ever-present, constant relationship. So I guess the real question is how do I let God out of his box? How do I let Jesus into my life? And how do I just crack the door so he could come rushing in? Because the truth is we've got so used to our own rhythm and our own routine and doing our own thing and then just running over and hoping that it's okay with him. We, we, we literally live the phrase, it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And a lot of that comes out of our desire to leave Jesus Christ right here, from ever-present to over there. There's that moment in Matthew 7 where People say, God, we, we did all this stuff for you. We did all these spiritual activities for you. We took care of people for you. We did all these things for you. And he, goes, he looks at him in the eyes and says, yeah, but I, I never knew you. I didn't know you. You knew about me, but I didn't know you. You did things for me, but I didn't know you. 1 Corinthians 8 talks about those who love God can be known by God. I don't just want to know about God. I want to be known by God. I want him to know me, and I want to know him, and I want to walk with him in every season. I want him to be the ever-present king in the midst of my reality. I I don't want to be in charge. I just want to follow him because I know if I follow him, there's no one greater. He already has the plan. He knows the direction. He has the ability. If I'm following him, there is a way. People are asking me about Sony Plane. Are you freaking out yet? Are you freaking out yet? Are you freaking out that you're behind and things aren't happening? I'm like, yeah. The control freak part of me is 100% freaked out. But the other part of me that knows that Jesus Christ is in control says, you know what? There's a reason. 
I might not get it. I might not understand it. I might not be able to wrap my mind around it. But as long as I trust him and I work hard and I work diligently to make all of these things happen, everything that I can do, I'm going to do. But I know that there's a bigger plan. And if part of that plan is me being delayed and him missing up my plan because it's actually me thinking that it's me instead of me understanding that it's him, I'm okay with that. Because the truth is, I can't be trusted with my own ego for too long. Oh, sorry, it's just me. Hashtag pastor problems. Right. So we could know about God, but we could know Jesus Christ. We could have him know about us, or we can be known by him in a real relationship right here, right now. Not in a relationship where we come and high five on Sunday. Where we let him in to every moment of every season of our lives. Because I just wonder what could happen if I invited him into my family. I just wonder what could happen if I invited him into my business meeting where I didn't know the answer but because he's the God of all wisdom and he tells me to ask him that in the middle of my meeting I can say God I need a strategy and something unlocks. I just wonder what might happen if I take him to school with me or to the classroom. I just wonder what might happen if I just let him back into my life a little bit because we've all been really comfortable with this and listen me too the way we grew up. This is the way it's established. We're really good at looking at it the way that everybody else has. But what if Jesus is calling us to more? What if he's calling us out of this pattern and he's calling us into an everyday, real life, personal relationship in every situation, in every moment, not just a spiritual high five on a Sunday where I feel fueled up. Did you know that it's possible that you don't have to feel depleted by Sunday morning? Like, oh, I just need to get to church because I feel so Jesus just, like, he just wants to fill you up all the time. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I know God's got a great plan and a purpose for you, and I know that it's not a mistake that you were listening to this message today. So if you want to reach out, if you need somebody to talk to, feel free to send us an email, hello at engagechurch.ca. If you want to learn more about our church, you want to come check us out live and in person uh, for the real deal, then get all the information online at engagechurch.ca. I'm Brett. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're running or you're at the gym right now, you got this. Go get it.